This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on PodClips. Masters of Dispute Resolution is designed to provide those involved in the mediation process with the views of the most experienced and accomplished mediators and others experienced in the process. Through our discussions, you will gain insight into how to address and overcome difficult issues and achieve more satisfying results in mediation. Your host is Len Levy, mediator and arbitrator with ADR Services, Inc., a leading alternative dispute resolution provider. Lynn litigated complex cases for more than 30 years and has been a mediator since 1998 and is a member of the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. He has been recognized as a super lawyer in alternative dispute resolution each year since 2014. And now your host, Lynn Levy. Thank you, Daryl. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Masters of Dispute Resolution, a MIDI seminar which will add tools to your mediation toolbox. We're brought to you today by Lawyer Specific Insurance Brokerage, Inc., the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals, and ADR Services, Inc. Uh, in Masters of Dispute Resolution interviews during our first season, we've been talking to mediators who possess a high level of process expertise and who've shared that expertise with you with the idea of helping you become more effective, whatever your role may be in the mediation process. Now, many of our guests, if, if not all of them, also have specific subject matter expertise, either acquired in their careers as jurists, litigators, or developed as they mediate cases. In our second season of Masters of Dispute Resolution, we're addressing unique skills and approaches in substantive areas as we explore the unique aspects of mediation which apply to disputes in which specialized knowledge can make a real difference. We are very fortunate today to have as our guest, Robert Mann, who will provide insights on effective mediation in two often overlapping areas, construction and real estate. Uh, to be sure, these are areas of the law requiring a mediator with expertise and skills, along with an understanding of the landmines that often present themselves as obstacles to resolution. I can think of no better guide into these areas than my friend Bob Mann, who once said in describing why expertise is needed for someone to mediate those cases, you can't let an amateur fly the plane. Uh, Bob has technical expertise in real estate and construction is, is unmatched. and. Uh, if, if I were to go into Bob's complete bio, the podcast would be signed off uh, before we get to the end. And uh, Bob's experience as a trial lawyer is, is incredible, over 30 years. And his experience in managing construction projects as an owner's representative is unique and gives him a perspective and ability to settle even the most difficult and hotly contested matters. Bob is an author, a frequently uh, sought after speaker. Uh, Bob uh, in, in 2007, I think was published, uh, Tech Free Buildings, which is a technical book on construction. Bob, I thank you very much for, for joining us today and uh, hope we can enlighten some people uh, by sharing your expertise. Thank you, Len. Uh, what a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Your podcast series, I think, is phenomenal. Thank you. Um, look, to get started, uh, 
you have an incredible amount of experience. And what I would like to, uh, to ask you as one of the most widely respected mediators in California, um, and by the way, selected as one of the top 50 neutrals in the state for many, many reasons. Um, one of those reasons is your technical expertise in real estate and construction. I, I will say anytime I have a conversation with, with Bob on the subject of construction, I learn something, notwithstanding the fact that I've been doing this for about 45 years uh, as an attorney and as a mediator. But Bob, can you please tell us what is the danger when those uninitiated in construction do not have those that subject matter expertise and seek to represent clients in mediation. What happens generally is that you get uh, unrealized expectations. So if you are a lawyer representing somebody in a construction dispute and you lack experience, which leads directly to your lacking perspective, what's generally going to happen is that you're going to end up i think over promising and underperforming because uh, let me see if i can give you an example let's say we have a single family home dispute so we have an owner who hires a contractor to remodel a house or build a new house and there's a a flirtation with the contractor and an engagement and a marriage and then there is an argument and a divorce. <laughs> and they come to mediation in order to achieve a property settlement, if you wanted to use the family law metaphor. Right. So oftentimes, a, a, an inexperienced lawyer will show up with an outraged client, and it will be a combination of claims generally that the contractor might have a $75,000 mechanics lien claim or larger. And the owner will turn around and say, you owe me four or $500,000 or a million dollars because you ruined my house and it's riddled with construction defects. And the lawyer may have said to the owner, we're going to get a million dollars from this guy. We have a provable case. It's going to cost a million dollars to fix this house and we're going to get a million dollars from this guy but what that inexperienced lawyer has failed to realize is in my example that very little of the million dollars of construction defects is covered by insurance and typically you might have what's called a mom and pop contractor or as i like to call them a contractor that has a pickup truck and a dog and that's all he's got Sometimes they don't even have the dog. <laughs> so without insurance, there is no practical way to accomplish the owner's objective of recovering the million dollars for the construction defects because the owner could get a judgment against the contractor for the million dollars, but he or she is never gonna collect it. So you're immediately heading into a situation where you're gonna have a disappointed owner who's been overpromised by an inexperienced lawyer. And it becomes the mediator's job to ameliorate those expectations as much as possible. And unfortunately, to have the unenviable task 
of speaking truth to power and having that discussion with the owner and saying, I'm not unsympathetic to your predicament, but I can't get you a million dollars because this contractor doesn't have that kind of money. I might be able to get you $100,000 from insurance carrier. And if we do, that's all you're ever gonna get. So you're, you're, you become the agent of reality as someone once put it. And that is something that requires you to walk a tightrope when that comes up, because the, uh, you're, you're having to do it in a context that you don't want the attorney's stature with their client to be undermined, but you do need to interject things into that is absolutely necessary to settle. Len, you said it perfectly. And one of the, the prime directives in the mediation process, at least from my perspective is, I never want to embarrass a lawyer in front of a client. That's a very, very bad idea. So oftentimes I have to take the lawyer aside privately and say, do you realize we're not going to be able to get this hypothetical million dollars in this case? And have you talked to the client about it? Sometimes the lawyer will be hearing this for the first time. If the lawyer's really inexperienced, this is going to be an epiphany for that lawyer. And I'm going to be faced with somebody who's rather shocked. Sometimes the lawyer knows it very well. And he says, or she says to me, I've delivered that message, but I need you to amplify that message. Because um, we're, we're gonna get into how you do that in just a moment, but right now we're taking a break and you're listening to Masters of Dispute Resolution on podclips.io. Our guest is Bob Mann and we are chatting about things construction and what you need to know. Most attorneys need professional liability coverage, but very few are professional liability experts. And there's so many options when it comes to legal malpractice insurance. How do you know how much coverage you need? What should your policy limits be? What if you've had a past claim? You shouldn't have to take time away from helping your clients to research professional liability coverage. And with lawyer-specific insurance brokerage on your side, you won't have to. They're professional liability experts. Shop California's leading professional liability carriers to find your firm the right coverage at the right price. Lawyer-specific founders Alan Debbie Hernandez have over 50 years combined experience working with the highest-rated providers of lawyers' professional liability insurance. So trust the brokerage with access to over 40 carriers in California and find a cost-effective malpractice insurance solution for your firm. Go to lawyerspecific.com and click Request a Quote. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy, and my guest is Bob Mann. When we broke... Uh, Bob was talking about uh, his role as the agent of reality and how to uh, help attorneys maintain their credibility with their client while being educated on things they really don't know. Bob, can you uh, amplify on your on your last answer? <laughs> sure. Before the podcast, I was uh, preparing some notes and I wrote down a list of issues and the first things that I wrote down on my on my legal pad, I wrote down, have a plan. Then I wrote down, have a goal. And then I wrote down, make sure it's a realistic goal. 
So this is under the heading of making sure that your goals are realistic and knowing what you can and cannot achieve. So how do you handle it? Well, you have to have a conversation with the lawyer and then you have to have a very delicate conversation with the client. And the reason that I say that it's delicate is this. When you have a construction case involving someone's home, it is a very emotional experience for that client. Uh, homes are very special to people. And frankly, even commercial construction disputes are emotional for owners because they have a lot of time and money invested in projects. So you have to have a mix of empathy and reality. And you've got to be cognizant of the fact that you're talking to somebody who's very, very upset and disappointed and frustrated and angry. So you need to be aware of that person's emotional state. And at the same time, as you said, Len, you have to be an agent of reality. So you have to have that painful conversation. And my experience is it you have to come back to it over and over again in the mediation. In a full day mediation, you have to touch on it, then go on to other things, then come back to it an hour later, and then come back to it an hour after that. And it usually takes four or five or six discussions about the same topic for it to really sink in and for the owner to understand the reality of the situation. And some, sometimes that reality has to do with what you had mentioned earlier, which was damages. And uh, specifically, not just the damages that are recoverable as a practical matter, you know, shortage of insurance uh, uh, coverage or things of that nature, but there's also civil code sections that control this. And I, I think in one of our conversations, you were gave 3343 of the civil code as an example. You're absolutely right. This pertains to the overlap between construction and real estate cases. So in a real estate non-disclosure case, there is a special measure of damages under civil code section 3343. It's rather technical, but I think I can explain it in a simple way. It's what's called the out-of-pocket measure of damages. It's the difference between the purchase price and the value of what the buyer received on the day the escrow closed. And it's usually established by an appraisal. And it has a lot of interesting impacts uh, in a variety of ways, including what happens when you have what you might call a hybrid construction defect case and non-disclosure case. Now, the interesting thing that can happen on all these, I'll give you an example from a house that I, uh, I mediated a few years ago out in Lake Sherwood. Uh, a guy buys a house, it's listed as having two living rooms one of which is subterranean. He buys the house and shortly after he buys his house, it rains and the subterranean living room floods. So now he's got to fix it. The building inspector comes out and he takes one look and he says, are you using this as the living room? He says, yes. He says, well, you can't do that. He said, this is not permitted as a living room. It's only permitted as a storage room because it doesn't have a secondary means of ingress and egress. 
so it's not safe in a fire. Well, this is a big disappointment to the buyer who thought he was buying a house with two living rooms. Now, here's the interesting point. At the mediation, the defendants came in and they said, well, it may be correct that this wasn't disclosed. It may even be correct that uh, it leaks like a sieve and it's gonna cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to fix it. But the fact is that the buyer bought it for almost a million dollars below market. And even if you factor in the living room and the cost of repair, he has no damages under 3343. Guess what? They were right. Mm -hmm. Right. The buyer was completely caught off guard. We continued the mediation so that the buyer could address this issue and get his own appraiser. When we reconvened the mediation, it turns out the buyer's appraiser agreed with the seller's appraiser. We still got him some money, but it's a great example of how 3343 can work in a given case. And and it's, it's also a great example of how, if you don't know this, going into a mediation representing a client and, and ha that client having this incredible uh, incredibly high number uh, uh, as an expectation number uh, is is really fraught with danger. I mean, you're not going to have a happy client at the end of the day. The lawyer oh. heard about 3343 for the first time at the mediation. Wow. Um, that's not the best time to hear about 3343. Right, right. Well, um, one of the things that... Uh, that also comes up in uh, in mediation of construction disputes is is just just the fact of the nature of the beast. I mean, you're dealing with uh, you're you're dealing with an elephant, and you can't pretend that it's a chihuahua. Okay, uh, so you're going to have typically uh, if you're dealing with uh, a uh, e even some of the simpler cases, multiple parties, uh, a myriad of obstacles to resolution, uh, the substantive and procedural. And could you describe some of the obstacles you have to overcome? Let, let's start with those kind of procedural uh, uh, obstacles. So it's a combination of uh, substantive issues and logistical issues. Mm -hmm. And you have to anticipate both of these things. So what would I say to somebody who is contemplating a construction mediation? I, I would say, I'm back to my checklist that I was writing down. Mm -hmm. First thing is have a plan. Second, have a goal and make sure it's realistic. Third, some of these things logistically are very, very simple, but they're very important. Make sure you have all the proper parties and that nobody important is missing. Make sure that everybody is tendered to claim to their insurance carrier. Make sure you have your expert team assembled and that you've published the evidence in support of your claim so that the parties, the lawyers, the insurance adjusters and the carriers have the ability to assimilate the information before the mediation and they're not hearing it for the first time. I have more things on my checklist. 
Well, we we could we could probably have a three hour podcast going through all of those in depth, and I will. Uh, I'll t- I'll tell you, I'm I'm up for it. Not today, but I'm up for it. Uh, but it it's something that that what I'd like to to try to do here is to. Um, is to focus on some of the things that attorneys don't do. And and one of the things that I think attorneys don't do, uh, you touched on, which is tender the claim and publish the information. People come in to these kinds of mediations saying, well, I, I'm not sure what they're really complaining about. That, that, that happens from time to time? <laughs> that happens all the time. That That is a a very typical defense mantra. We mm-hmm. don't know what the claims are. We don't know what the cost of repair estimate is. We haven't seen the evidence. We haven't seen any photographs. Um, these things all need to be what you might say teed up if you're going to hit a nice long drive, if you like that golf metaphor. Right. And I love with- your metaphors, Bob. That is that, that's great. <laughs> but look, look, let, let's let let's take a break right now because we're we're going to we're going to play the 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 I think this would probably be the fifth hole um, on, on this podcast with uh, with figuring out what hasn't been teed up in in many uh, in many mediations and how that impedes getting what your client wants. So we are on podclips.io. Uh, Masters of Speed Resolution is our show, and we're chatting with Bob Mann on construction and related issues. Masters of Dispute Resolution is sponsored by the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. NADN is the premier invitation-only association of civil mediators and arbitrators in the United States, with members in every state of the nation. Only experienced ADR professionals who are widely acceptable to local plaintiff and defense firms are invited to join the Academy's roster. The Academy's website, NADN.org is the most widely visited neutrals database in the world today. With over 40,000 law offices, insurance companies, and corporations visiting our free website annually. Firms can search for neutrals by many criteria, including location, case expertise, qualifications, language skills, and most NADN members also publish their available dates, calendars, online making NADN.org the go-to website for law firms wishing to schedule appointments online with their preferred mediators. For more information, please visit www.NADN.org today. Welcome back, everyone, to Masters of Dispute Resolution and our conversation with Bob Mann. Uh, Bob, we were in the middle of playing the fifth hole, and I, I think we had just teed off, um, except there's somebody in the foursome back there who doesn't know how to tee up uh, the, the right information. So let's get into those things that need to be teed up in order to proceed with a in construction mediation. So what do you have to do? 
uh, if you're the, the plaintiff's lawyer and you have what you think is a nice uh, construction defect case, for example, or some other kind of construction dispute, the resolution of construction disputes is all about the exchange of information. And related to that is the concept of total transparency. In a construction dispute, there are no secrets. It's all gonna come out in the wash. And the sooner that you get the laundry out and let everybody look at it, the better off you're gonna be. So for example, what do you have to do? You might have a pre-mediation telephone conversation with the mediator and talk about what the case is about, what the information is about. And the mediator may say to you things like, maybe we should consider having an expert to expert conversation before the mediation because these cases are all expert driven. And oftentimes the experts, when they communicate directly with one another, can reach agreement on a lot of issues, especially if they can have a conversation without the lawyers so that they don't have to perform uh, in the way that uh, they sometimes do, which can be a little counterproductive. And they can have a more bottom line conversation about the merits of the claims. So what do you have to do? You have to develop a, a comprehensive list of the issues. In a construction defect case, you've got to have a defect list. You have to be able to tell people, how are we going to fix these defects? And how much is it going to cost? And what is the scope of our repair effort? Scope times method equals cost. It's almost a mathematical equation. Mm -hmm. And when you take some of the uh, elements out of the equation, you're going to end up with a very incomplete situation. So if you don't tell people what the defects are, you don't tell them how you're going to fix it, and you don't tell them what needs to be fixed, you're going to leave them lacking information, and it's going to be an impediment to the settlement. And, and let me just interrupt here for a second. If they lack information, they have, they're at a disadvantage with their own expert because their expert is going to go off of information that the expert has. I mean, it's, it's absolutely axiomatic. I mean, it's, you've got to, you've got to give the expert information. So you had earlier talked about getting the experts together and getting to see whether they, they agree on, on some aspects or perhaps all aspects. Uh, those are generally, uh, I, I think you had talked to me about facilitated discussions that, that, are, that often take place. But those facilitated discussions, which narrow the scope of, of the issues that, that the parties need to uh, address in a mediation, those can't take place unless there's that exchange of information as a starting point, right? It's, that's exactly right. It's a little bit of a chicken and egg situation. So I always think that the very first thing you need to do <clears throat> is transparently publish the information. Everybody has to get it for a lot of reasons. And your point about the experts, Len, is very well taken. You need to think about the kind of the tripartite relationship on the defense side. You have an insurance adjuster, a defense lawyer, and a defense expert. So what happens is, the defense lawyer says to the defense expert, what's our exposure in this case? What do you think about the plaintiff's claims? Do you agree with their cost of repair? 
because that defense lawyer has got to make a report to the insurance adjuster and that insurance adjuster has to set reserves. They can't do any of those things without vital information, without basic vital information. And you can't have them show up for the first time at a mediation without having this information because they're gonna say, we're not prepared to offer money to settle this case because we have not evaluated the case. This takes time to do what I just described, that tripart relationship, that takes time and effort. One of the best ways in my experience to facilitate this exchange of information is to have a site visit, a pre-mediation site visit. I've even done these site visits where we have all the experts there and the plaintiff expert does what you might call a dog and pony show during the site visit. He walks everybody or she walks everybody through the house or the building, whatever it may be. And it's a show and tell. And the defense experts get to ask questions and they get to listen to all this information. And then a week later, a month later, whatever the appropriate timing is, we all sit down at a mediation. Everybody's been there, they know what's going on. And now we can have an effective discussion about how to settle the case. So often at mediation, I hear from the defense, we don't know what the defects are. We don't know what the cost of repair is. We don't know what the scope of repair is. Uh, we don't know what their other damages are because there are other damages in these cases that are more consequential, such as, um, oh, alternative living expenses. This person says, I had to move out for eight months or I'm going to have to move out for eight months while repairs are being made. And there's no backup for that damages. And somebody says, well, we have no backup. They're claiming uh, $10,000 a month, but we have no substantiation for that claim. These are all impediments to the process. Well, you, you, also, uh, you also alluded to a number of other uh, things on your list and uh, that that need to be overcome. Can you can you uh, address how those how at least one of those things greatly impacts the ability to uh, to reach a resolution? Trying to 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 answer your question and in some kind of order of priority. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the, the formulating and marshalling your evidence and publishing it in a timely fashion is your number one issue. Number two, making sure that people have tendered to their carriers. So often in a mediation, somebody will show up and they will say, we haven't tendered the claim yet. You might as well stop the mediation right there because almost all of these cases depend on contributions from insurance carriers to have an effective settlement and an effective mediation. Without a tender, we don't have an insurance carrier, we can't have an efficient discussion. So the timing of this is very, very important. Informing the experts, as we've talked about, critically important, so that you don't have an expert show up and say, I don't know what they're talking about. That's a major impediment because again, these are so expert driven. Right. 
We look. We're we're going to uh, take a break right now, and um, we're going to get into some additional issues. You mentioned insurance, and the there's also something that some sometimes people look at as insurance, but isn't really, and that's surety bonds. And uh, being familiar with those and their involvement uh, is something we're going to be talking about in our next segment. Our podcast is Masters of Dispute Resolution, and I'm Len Levy. This is uh, our guest, Bob Mann, who is enlightening us uh, to a great degree on things construction. Thank you. Masters of Dispute Resolution would like to thank ADR Services Incorporated, your partner in resolution, and its founder, Lucy Barron, for supporting this podcast. ADR Services is one of the leading providers of alternative dispute resolution in California. Leveraging technology to drive resolution, ADR Services is committed to dynamism in the face of growing client need and an ever-evolving legal climate. Now operating offices in all major legal markets of California, ADR Services provides unparalleled in-person and remote resolution services through its exclusive panel comprised of more than 130 of the most distinguished and talented neutrals across the state, capable of handling challenging and complex mediations, arbitration, and other procedures in every field of law. When you seek the services of a neutral and you want results and satisfied clients, contact ADR Services, www.adrservices.com. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy, and this is our podcast uh, in which we are talking to Bob Mann, uh, who is giving us insights on construction matters. Uh, we were, when we broke, we were talking about insurance and the importance of insurance uh, and insurance issues. Uh, Bob, could you please expand on just how important those issues are in construction and construction defect cases? Insurance is really at the heart of these cases. And it's both um, the solution and the problem in construction cases, ironically. It's a problem because contractors have what are called commercial general liability policies of insurance, generally speaking. In some cases, you'll have special policies of insurance, which are called OSIP, or CSIP or RAP policies. And depending on the nature of the dispute and the claims and the nature of the policy, those can provide slightly broader coverage than a typical, what's called a CGL, commercial general liability policy. But most of the time we're dealing with CGL policies. It's problematic because in the in the lay community, in the client community, people assume that if their contractor has insurance, that the insurance is going to cover the damage that arises from the construction defects, but it doesn't. And this comes as a big shock to owners, and frankly, it can come as a big shock to the lawyers who represent them if they're not experienced in this area. I've had many mediations where I've had to explain in a very painful way to an owner that these claims are not going to be covered by insurance. And I see the look on the lawyer's face and I realize that that lawyer is hearing this for the first time. 
that's going to lead to a lot of problems. So it's critically important to understand some basics about this. And look, there are whole treatises that have been written about this, and there's there are whole seminars that go on for hours about construction insurance. It's an immensely complex issue. But at the simplest level, a CGL policy does not cover construction defects and it doesn't cover breach of contract. So you might ask, well, what does it cover? <laughs> the answer is it covers a very limited and narrow and somewhat arcane concept of resultant property damage and bodily injury. The bodily injury component is almost never an issue in construction cases unless something's fallen on somebody's head, which rarely happens, but happens every once in a while. So what's resultant property damage? What does it cover? Let's say, to make a simple example, let's say that you have a defectively installed window in a house and it rains and water comes in and the water saturates the drywall under the window and it runs onto the floor and it ruins the hardwood floor. Let's say in my example, and this is why it becomes a very, very important issue. Let's say the cost of repairing the damage to the drywall and the hardwood floor is $5,000. But the cost to replace the window, take it out, remove the stucco around it, install a new window with proper flashing and restucco the house because you have to make it match is $50,000. The insurance carrier will say, I might write a check for the $5,000 but I'm not gonna write a check for the $50,000 because I don't insure the construction defect. This is a big problem in people's understanding and it's critical to understand the difference between what's covered and what's not. And, and some of the policies, that, and look, I did insurance work for, for many years and I, I've heard it described as, well, the first, the first paragraph of what we will cover is is pretty much taken away by the whatever the balance of the policy is. Uh, there's uh, there's some provisions having to do with the, the contractor's own work, for example, uh, that can enter into that. That's uh, exactly right. The own the own O W N own work exclusion. Mm -hmm. um, is very important. Plus you have, uh, there's a lot of issues involved in this. One of them critically important is the concept of completed operations coverage. And this happens all the time when an owner fires a contractor before the job is done. Mm -hmm. And the insurance carrier oftentimes in that situation says, we're not gonna pay for this. The, cl the claim is now made six months after the contractor has been kicked off the job. And the insurance company comes in and says, we're not gonna pay for this because there's no what's called completed operations coverage because the contractor's work wasn't completed at the time that he was terminated. So sometimes an owner can really shoot themselves in the foot by getting rid of the contractor before the job is done. And, and very often what you're gonna have in construction defect cases is you're gonna have coverage counsel of various types. Can you please give me a, a, a enlighten us on how coverage counsel involvement in mediation can can be a complicating factor and, and how to deal with it? 
It's a, it's a great question. And we are seeing in construction disputes, we are seeing an increased use of coverage counsel. Uh, it used to be that we would rarely see coverage counsel. Now I commonly see coverage counsel. Coverage counsel is a lawyer who is hired by either an owner or an insurance carrier to advise on whether a claim is covered. They come in two flavors. Uh, coverage counsel hired by carriers and coverage counsel hired by owners. The job of a coverage lawyer hired by an insurance company, and I say this in a respectful way to my friends who do this, uh, they are all some version of Dr. No. <laughs> Their job is to say no. Is this covered? No. Uh, are you going to recommend to the insurance carrier that they make a contribution to settle the case? No. The flip side of that is a coverage lawyer hired by an owner or an insured, like a general contractor. It's exactly the reverse. Their job is to say yes. They sit in a room in the mediation and they look at the insurance carrier and they say some version of, we want the case settled. We believe this is covered. We want our client out of harm's way. We don't want to hear all of your arguments about why it's not covered. We want you to pay money to settle this case. So how do you handle that? <laughs> well, you listen patiently. <laughs> and uh, sometimes um, you'll be in a mediation where you only have Dr. No and you don't have Dr. Yes. And what you really, really need is Dr. Yes to counter Dr. No. And it's a very, very, very delicate situation. Uh, you really think this person needs their own coverage lawyer, but it's very hard to suggest that. And, and you know something, one of the things that's very hard to suggest is that an attorney may need a crash course on how to effectively represent their client. Uh, what what we've been talking about today is really scratching the surface of that of that crash course because the some of the concepts that that you and I have talked about uh, things like delay damages, critical path analysis, scheduling issues, uh, change orders, mechanics liens, uh, stop notices, surety bonds. Uh, the differences between publics and public and private work. These are all areas you, that you are well familiar with and have dealt with uh, in, in hundreds of cases, but not everybody is prepared. Uh, my suggestion, rely on a mediator such as Bob, because Bob will help you. And be, don't be afraid to utilize the mediator uh, as a resource. So we, we are pretty much at the end of, of our podcast tonight, today, Bob, and, and th this has been a, a great deal of fun for me. I hope for you as well. Absolutely. Len, thank you so much. You know, I was thinking as a closing comment, the, the ADR logo says, your partner in dispute resolution. Mm -hmm. My advice is consider the mediator to be your partner, not your adversary. Thank you. Yeah, great, great advice. Thank you. 
And uh, how how can people contact you uh, who want to get more information, book a mediation, things like that? Shoot me an email at rman, M-A-N-N, at adrservices.com. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks so much for the conversation. Uh, I, I hope to have you back as a guest in the future. And thank you, Daryl Wayne, engineer uh, and producer. I'm Len Levy, and this is Masters of Dispute Resolution on podclips.io, powered by Infogen Labs, Inc. And in the meantime, until the next podcast, stay well, keep listening, and remember, peace of mind is enhanced when conflicts are resolved. If you wish to contact Len Levy, you can reach him through his email at lslevy at adrservices.com, through Len's website, lenlevymediate.com, telephone him at 818-903-5562, or contact his case manager at ADR Services, 213-683-1600.